0: conductive wire and you so electric. I had no say when you came so near and just pass right through me. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that you can follow Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram at Welcome to Geekdom and on Twitter at Geekdom Pod. There are links to those in the show notes. You can also support the show on Patreon, where I will be releasing bonus content for this podcast and my other podcast, Chat Cemetery. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. There are links to all of those things in the show notes, so be sure to do that. It is a huge help for the show, and I really appreciate it. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Geekdom is back. I am joined once again by Katie Schaefer. And today we are talking all about Batman, the Black Mirror. This takes place after Final Crisis. So, Katie, big detail here.
1: Dick Grayson is Batman. Yes, I saw that. I was not surprised, because but intrigued, because Dick is obviously a very different kind of Batman than Bruce. Right. Had you read this before? I had not. No, I read this the show. And I, my husband's been like, you, you need to read this. You need to read this <laughs> since we like started dating. So he was very happy. And I'm sure we're going to have much discussion about it later.
0: Yeah, it's one that I had read before. And I absolutely loved it. Because not only do I really enjoy Scott Snyder's work, and this was sort of, you know, the first Batman thing he did, if I'm not mistaken, it was definitely before his big run with Greg Capullo. And I absolutely love, 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 Jock and Francesco mm,
1: okay,
0: and their artwork. It's just so good. And it's so perfect for Batman, especially yes. when you have sort of the detective noir kind of stuff. And you have these stories that are being told a certain way with Francesco Francavia's art in particular. And I do want to note that this was originally published as Detective Comics number 871 through 881. And a lot of the Francesco Francavia stuff, I believe, was sort of, you know, the B story at the back end of the comic. I'm totally spacing on what I just called it five minutes ago before we hit record. I'm sorry, I can't remember either. (laughs) It's one of those days. I've been up since 4 a.m. for absolutely no reason. But oh, God. You have this story being told in chunks. And then with that secondary story, you have this deeper look into Jim Gordon's life, which I feel like we don't get all that often with Batman
1: comics. (laughs) No, and it's always a treat. You know, we got, I think, you know, we get some of it in the long Halloween when the marriage issues between him and his wife and we see his son in that for a brief brief moment but I liked that we get to have a few of these issues from his perspective entirely I think that really deepens the character and this Gordon is obviously you know been through a lot to say the least and he's still grappling with the darkness that's in Gotham but he also seems to have kind of accepted it and is fairly certain that he knows what he's supposed to be doing and how to fight and then I think at this one it kind of throws him for a bit of a
0: loop it really does and I also want to quickly note that this was the last batman storyline before new 52 launched which is when okay. you know Snyder was put on batman and you can tell he has a deep understanding of Gotham And in between the two things, basically, Scott Snyder, you know, wrote this, then he wrote Batman Gates of Gotham. And then I believe that's when New 52 started. You know, these were all happening within like the same two, three year period. So he hit the ground running with Batman with this, in my opinion, at least. And you have these two very different art styles but they're not so drastically different. I think what stood out to me was how they were colored, yeah, to sort of differentiate the main story from then, you know, all of this stuff going on with Jim Gordon, right,
1: right. And it and then all of and then by the end, those two have blended together in a way that you, I mean, that I didn't see it coming anyway. <laughs> and I think that him understanding Gotham, I feel like. Not all of them, but some of the best Batman stories are from creators who do understand Gotham and who make that a. make Gotham almost a character in the story. Like, because that's kind of what's been set up in the past. And I feel like whenever that really gets explored, it's so much more interesting and adds a lot more depth, especially in in particular, obviously in the beginning of this, that Dick. You know, he's taken the mantle of Batman, and he does things a little differently, and he is still not quite sure. He feels uncertain in the beginning of how to reconcile himself with Gotham without letting the darkness drown him, Mm -hmm. and how to make progress as Batman, and, you know, I don't know that you can make progress as Batman. Gotham is just that that way. (laughs) But he tries, damn it. He tries. (laughs) Yeah
0: he really does and to sort of go over what the black mirror storyline actually is cuz these are happening in small chunks throughout these comics so you have a three-part story on the black mirror which is you know like you were saying is tough being batman dick keeps watching people die and the dealer is the main villain in this storyline the mirror house is sort of this black market auction house and He's just so baffled by the fact that these are parents who are taking yes. part in this. These are just everyday people. They're not the Joker or Riddler or these people who have been locked up in Arkham time and time again. They're just everyday, right. well, rich
1: people, let's say. So yeah. maybe not They're everyday people. they incredibly wealthy. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's just, it comes to a head in the end of that comic so... Brutally. You know, he goes and he finds out who the dealer is. He infiltrates the Mirror House, but is obviously found out and is infected with, I assume, Scarecrow's gas. You know, he gets away, but he thinks these people are going to eat him. And the first time he wakes up, they do the fake out of, they ate your legs. And I was like, they ate his legs? What the? What? I was totally just bought into it and then you find out oh no this is just part of the gas and the storyline so far had been dark enough that I was willing to buy into that the only thing I thought is like is he getting prosthetic legs how's he gonna do this (laughs) yeah
0: and with the backup stories I feel like this is a very well-rounded Gotham story because Mm -hmm. not only is it a Batman story, but the fact that Batman isn't Bruce, and you can tell Dick is sort of still grappling with that. You have a little bit of Tim Drake as Red Robin, which I
1: liked. and I love him. We He's don't so fun. really see Damien. He gets mentioned, but... Mm-hmm. A couple of times here and there, but mostly is, you know, playing support in this one.
0: Yeah. And Barbara Babs is in the wheelchair, so we know this is sort of following the killing joke storyline. And Mm -hmm. not Commissioner Gordon, he's not commissioner in part of this story, because we get a flashback in these Francesco Francavia portions that, you know, he's still sort of just a detective, lieutenant, what have you, and he's not commissioner just yet. So it kind of shows you how far he's come as well. And Mm -hmm. the flashbacks work for me because of the fact that it's giving us this backstory on James Jr., who, because his story is largely taking place in the backup stories, which I guess was the word Mm -hmm. I was looking for, and I don't know why I couldn't think of that. (laughs) That's so simple. But, you know, we get through all three parts of the Black Mirror before we even see him, and then we kind of see how things tie together. This is definitely playing the long game, in my opinion. I know it's only
1: 11 issues and you don't find out everything that's been going on until the very end. And in that way, it kind of felt like, like I felt there were a lot of similarities between this one and not in a bad way, just in the kinds of story it's telling between the Black Mirror and the long Halloween with how intricate the story is and how tight it uh, winds before everything comes to a head and hush with the secret reveal type thing and how self-questioning, I, obviously that one is Bruce, but there's lots of self-doubt in Hush and dealing with a lot of grief and change and all of that. And I haven't read
0: that one, but I'm vaguely familiar with it. I have Heart of Hush and Hush to read on my list still. But I think, you know, moving on from those sort of first two storylines, we then hit Lost Boys, which is when we get that 15-year flashback. And this is revolving around the Peter Pan killer. So there's this guy going around killing kids. And even that, you know, Dick is kind of like not even scratching the surface with the worst of the worst at this point. So to sort of have that and have Jim be the one who has seen the absolute worst of people.
1: And, and, And having it touch his own life so, so closely. I mean, at that point, when he's still questioning, is James responsible for all of this, blah, blah, blah. But even at that point, back when him, you know, as the lieutenant, is seeing, oh God, this killer is coming for people who are close to my family. And... You know, he's been questioning it. You know, we see him following the guy who he knows is the Peter Pan killer, but who never got convicted for it. He's following him, and then he finds out an even darker truth about his own son, which he's suspected. And so we did a little looking before this episode, and I'm fairly certain that this is the origin story for James Gordon Jr. being a psychopath.
0: Yeah, Because in year one, he's really only mentioned as like an infant, not even a child like he is in the flashbacks. And Barbara, we'll say Babs, since his ex-wife is Barbara as well. They clearly did not get creative with naming their children. We're like, you're just going to have the same names as us, (laughs) and you know. So Babs is the one who is adamant about James Jr. having killed her friend Bess all those years ago. Yep. And with Jim, you see he doesn't want to believe it, but he, but he knows. knows underneath it all that something is wrong. And I kind of like how this is broken up because, you know, we get the Black Mirror story right off the bat. You get skeleton cases and Lost Boys from Francesco, and then it kind of alternates which I think helps because then you have some time to sit with each of these stories before returning back to them, and obviously with some of these being backup stories initially, they probably read differently.
1: Yeah, I can. I kind of wondered about that as I was reading through because you can. I could kind of tell when they're chopping and screwing the comic, almost where they're taking bits and putting it all together. They do it really well. In oh my god, it's super long starts with the plague, and then there's the earthquake, and Gotham is destroyed, and... Nightfall? No, not Nightfall. I have to find this, because it's... Contagion? There's Contagion, but then what comes after Contagion?
0: Like I told you, I
1: don't know the order of any of these. I'm
0: just (laughs) sitting out names.
1: Well, because... Contagion leads directly into Batman Cataclysm, which leads into Batman No Man's Land. No Man's Land is the one I'm thinking of, which is, I think, eight graphic novels. And it's made up of 30 different comics by the the time you get to the end of it.
0: I really wanted to say No Way Home, and I knew that was wrong. I just had (laughs) Spider-Man on the brain.
1: (laughs) Right, like you usually do. They did it incredibly well there, but here it's even better. Here, it feels very seamless and of a piece. And d- even with, you know, okay, this is obviously the, the front page of the comic because you can see where the, the artists and the writers' names are and all that. But I never felt disrupted like you sometimes do when you're reading something where it is a conglomeration of different comics. It all just flows.
0: Yeah, and usually for me, sometimes the difference in artist can take me out of it. But I was so Mm -hmm. engrossed in each part of these stories that I did not care. And like I said, it's visually obvious when you're switching, regardless of the fact that, you know, those Mm -hmm. credits pages aren't at the start, necessarily. Sometimes they were at the end.
1: Or they're a couple pages in or whatever.
0: Yeah. But the way that things were colored and drawn, you knew right away, okay, we're shifting gears. And it's a very clear split between Dick's story and Jim's story. And in Hungry City, we return to Jock's art, and we get a blast from the past, in a sense, for Dick, because he is having to deal with Tony Zuko's daughter, who is not like Tony at all, but Tony Zuko killed his parents. And, you know, they give us the impression, at least, that she's not like him. And by no means nearly as bad, but she's going by Sonya Branch to
1: basically distance herself from her, yeah, her father. And how how they introduce that is bonkers, <laughs> just wild. Where it opens, and there is a goddamn giant sized orca whale in the middle of a lobby of this huge skyscraper bank building, and it just opens. And I I, I turned the page, and I was like. What the hell? How did they even get this in here? There are no doors big enough to admit this orca. Like I just—that was the only point in the comic. Where I was like, through the skylight, obviously, Katie. I guess so. Like I was like, okay, this might be a little far. And that the the they said the cameras were only out for an hour. I was like, Mm-mm, no, that's gonna be an all day thing, moving an orca secretly through a crowded, huge city. Like, and you know, it's easy to overlook because it is. It does come out with a really cool ending and we get to see Dick do some awesome fighting and detective work. But (laughs) that was the only point where I was like, we've maybe gone a little too far into crazy land with this. But I
0: have to be honest with you. I didn't know anything about pretty much any of the villains in these jock stories going into this. I had never heard of the dealer. I didn't know who Roadrunner or Tiger Shark were. But Scott Snyder made them compelling enough to where you could believe Mm -hmm. these were like massive villains in Gotham and they weren't the massive villains in Gotham that we all know. And obviously we get a little Joker appearance, which I don't mind because while I do think the Joker is overused at times.
1: Incredibly, yeah.
0: I think DC has been better, especially lately, at finding more creative ways to use him, especially since launching like black label and stuff like that they can kind of go wild with the joker storylines
1: they've done some interesting stuff like with his relationship with harley quinn and giving her a much bigger platform and and i liked how they used him in this i agree i was waiting i was like oh god are we is this joker how are we gonna get the joker and then it's just he's he's a red herring and i love how his conversation that he has with with dick you're not my batman (laughs) you're not my Batman. He would know that I didn't do this. I don't know that Bruce would know shit about that. You're crazy. (laughs) You do whatever. You can't be trusted. Yeah.
0: But having, you know, Sonya's storyline tie into Roadrunner and Tiger Shark, and she's not necessarily the villain, but she does make it a little more difficult for Dick. And she's like, look, she's a bit sketchy. I sent you after two bad guys.
1: What do you care? (laughs) Right? This is God. It's your fault you didn't how, how, catch the second one. <laughs> right, right. How is that not your problem? <laughs> yeah, I think of, um, and I think I've seen Tiger Shark maybe before, but nobody else. And, and if I did see Tiger Shark, I think I was. I only remember him because of the crazy mask that he mm. wears. So I was like, that's got to be some interesting cloth that you can see through that. But how this all plays out, it almost feels like a movie. But in a, a movie that only could be done as a comic book because of how jarring the transitions are. But as a comic, it has like these three acts. When we're talking about you know the the Black Mirror portion, Hungry City, and then Skeleton Cases.
0: Yeah, it gets a little confusing because there's Skeleton Cases first, where we're introduced to James Junior, which is a creepy introduction, I might add.
1: Oh, he's just creepy from the offset. Like even when you see him as a kid, you're like. Mm -mm, that kid ain't right
0: but even when skeleton cases starts he's not introduced in the first page of that story it takes a minute to get there and then you have skeleton key which comes after hungry city and you know this is the joker bit yes yes that was just a quick thing like because that was a backup story it was so short that like you said joker was used more sparingly in this and then you sort of get into the final two which is my dark architect and the face in the glass. And I love these story titles. <laughs> like, I know, that's the thing I so epic. don't necessarily consider. Like, I can see some of Tom King's early Batman run when Rebirth launched. And it's just like, I am Gotham, I am Suicide, I am Bane, which I like the consistency there. Right. But that doesn't hit me with
1: anything. No, these titles, and they hint at what's to come, especially if you've been reading along the whole time, so yeah. I can see how you pick up the next issue and you're like, ooh, what does this mean, and like, you know? And,
0: like, My Dark Architect is
1: kind of like Dexter and his Dark Passenger,
0: and that's really right. what that reminded me of, and... Not too far off on this. Because Dexter is the same way, you know? He, sure, he can feel empathy, so he's probably more of a sociopath <laughs> than a psychopath, just because he clearly cares for, you know, his son
1: and his stepkids and here's the thing is that it's actually the other way around. It's that they got it wrong in the comics. A sociopath is someone who doesn't have the ability to feel empathy. A psychopath is someone who is able to suppress those feelings but they do still feel them. I've been getting it wrong this whole time. <laughs> it's a fine line. But but the comic does the same thing. I th- I saw that it was like a psychopath like I mean, they do have the ability to feel empathy for people that they care about, whereas a sociopath, that's just not an ability that they have. And these terms are in in the world of psychology unless you're in the UK, psychopath is not a diagnosable thing. That is not a thing that any doctor is going to diagnose you with. That's like a a legal term, not a medical term. So I thought that was funny. I was like, "Mm, somebody maybe didn't do all their research. But well, thank you for correcting me on that. Because I think I've been getting that wrong for a very long time. (laughs) Yes. So you can be diagnosed as a sociopath. You cannot be you can be legally held force as a psychopath at least in the uk here it's you can't really do that but i also wondered i was like why the hell would anybody hire someone who would totally admit like oh yeah yeah i've been a i've been a psychopath in the back in the past but i'm fine now i take these pills and i'm fine
0: that was the one thing that felt a little out of character for leslie
1: yes i was like i feel like she'd be like hmm especially trusting him with the the baby food run like and i think the
0: only logical explanation for that is because he's James Jr. If it were anyone else, uh, yeah. probably not, but we know that Leslie Tompkins has a long standing history with Jim Gordon and Batman and that's the only thing i can think of and you know Scott Snyder's smart enough to know that,
1: obviously, but... And it doesn't seem, I, I agree, it seems reasonable that everybody wants to think the best and he's never been, like, full-on convicted of anything. He's never...
0: Because no one's ever seen him actually do anything from the sounds
1: of it. Right, because he's very sneaky. But Barbara knows, or Babs knows, and I, I love her insistence. She's like, nah, I knew this was coming.
0: And before that, to rewind a little to the previous little story there. Mm -hmm. He has Ben Wolf tied up in his basement. And, you know, so rewinding a little just before that Dick meets with him. Right. And that's when Ben comes up. And it's like, Barbara dated him very, very briefly in high school or something. And he Buried
1: Junior's glasses in the dirt or something. He did some stupid bully prank that his Barbara pushed him into a pond for doing, is what Dick says. And Barbara
0: pointed this out that he would wait and wait. And wait and then mm-hmm. get his revenge. And that's exactly what he did here. So that was consistent. And I really like that. And
1: and that we don't know up until I say, I think, that point. Yeah. Like he's, por- he's always portrayed as being creepy with dead eyes, which is a particular skill in comics, in my mind, to be able to draw someone with dead eyes like that. Yeah. We don't know that he's actually the psychopath and not... Reformed as he's portraying, or because this is a news story, you know, he's saying, "I I've hurt people, but I've never killed anyone. I would never do that." And it's like, um, <laughs> um, and he, but he pulls that creepy trick, and that was where to me it felt everything felt off. Where he sits down with Jim in the coffee shop and says, "Oh, I cut the." the head off and it's it's stuffed in the toilet while you and Barbara Babs were talking and then you see the water Uh coming out from under there and then when Jim goes and he opens the door and you just see that he's stuffed toilet paper into the the thing and the sinks to make I think yep yep and the sinks and it's like okay that's something only a very disturbed person would do and then you see him, that he has cut all of the limbs and ripped the jaw off this guy. And I was like, I don't think that's a fair uh, reaction to he
0: slightly bullied you as a child, sir. But and didn't even do any physical
1: harm. Buried your glasses. Yep. Yeah. Or like the the ba- Babs talks about the, the school bus driver. Yes. Where he cuts her on the face in such a way that it makes it nigh on impossible to heal
0: right yeah she said you use two razor blades so close together that they couldn't stitch it up because the stitches would just pull the other one open and that description right clearly stuck with me
1: like <laughs> i know because I, you can see it in your mind I, i've had stitches i've had surgery and had stitches in it and i was and i was like and i've seen that exact effect and i just oh god on my face that would be <laughs> so awful so awful (laughs) yeah and you know to
0: to sort of wrap up with the plot at least here and you know he goes after babs and dick is able to get there in time but we find out along the way that junior already knew that dick was batman and Mm -hmm. he's not stupid he is extremely smart, and who his dad is probably helped him get
1: away with as much as he got away with. Right, right. Because, oh no, Commissioner Gordon's kid, or Jim's kid would never do that type thing. And, oh no, oh no. And then I do, I really appreciated that at the end, when uh, Jim finds that box of keys, we get confirmation that, yeah, he definitely killed Bess. Definitely killed Babs's friend as a child. I like having that closure of, yeah, he's just as terrible as you think he is. I also really loved
0: the ambiguity of the ending, just on the baby face. And you're like, oh, is yes. this one next? Yeah,
1: That was creepy. <laughs> that was so creepy. And um, although I was kind of surprised how Um, Babs was able to literally stab him in the eye with a knife, and he just keeps on trucking. I was like, no, your brain would be cleaved in two, my dude. (laughs) But it's, it's DC, so nobody ever really dies.
0: Yeah, so the fact that this used a handful of characters that aren't the most familiar, and it doesn't even have Bruce in it. No, not
1: at all. I think he's mentioned, but that's it. Yeah, it was like, oh, Bruce is back, but... And I don't even know if he's mentioned by the characters at any point. I think maybe once or twice, but the biggest mention you get of him is in that beginning where it explains, oh, this is what Bruce is doing. Which, by the way, Batman Inc. is, for my money, the worst idea ever. (laughs) The worst possible idea ever that they could have done, but then they did New
0: 52. Yeah, I, I did like a lot of Morrison's run, but... Oh, okay. I think when you sort of get to the Batman Ink part. It's like I enjoyed the sort of Batman and Robin stuff quite a bit from mm-hmm. that one. Knowing me, I probably still rated it very highly because I really like Batman. <laughs> so,
1: I, do too. I do
0: too. You know, with this, it sort of was a turn of the page. It was after Final Crisis. It was right before New 52. And obviously, Detective Comics has been around forever so it's evolved along the way
1: as there are 900 plus issues uh, we'll sell we'll tell you
0: yeah but overall i love this this is one of my favorite batman comics just because aside from the few things we pointed out i think there's logical enough explanations for them like the leslie thing oh yeah that it was easy for me to overlook some of the flaws that i saw in this and you know, it was just so much fun rereading this one. Cause so I follow Francesco Francovia on Instagram and Twitter, and the art he puts out is just mind blowing. And to get to see that in action anytime, I am happy with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you read this. I didn't realize when I asked you to do this episode that you had not read it before. Maybe you told me and I just forgot, but I'm glad you read it. So, Give me some overall thoughts
1: here. I love it when characters get introspective in Batman. And I love it when the comics allow us to explore their interior thought processes about the inherent uh, Sisyphean struggle that they're in. Because there's no winning. like Because of how Gotham is, there's no winning for them. Also because it would end the comic, so we can't have that. Right. And I also really like when they explore Gotham as as character and allow the characters to voice their own thoughts about it and have that introspection put up on the page for us all to see because that's really the psychological underpinnings of this are, for me, what's the most interesting force about Batman.
0: And there is a point in time where Dick specifically mentions Bruce and how the two of them are different because there was this moment where he was flying the plane and he was like, I don't know why Bruce didn't use this more.
1: Yes. And
0: yes. he was always more comfortable in the air, which I think has, you know, to do with his gymnastics background and, you know, f- flying through the Trappies air. artist. Yeah. And Bruce liked being on the ground because he was closer to it all. And Dick was like, I prefer it up here just because it allows me to sort of see things in a different way. And I love how much they differentiated him from Bruce. He didn't just become Bruce as soon as he put the Batman suit on.
1: Yeah. And I've read some of Nightwing. And this version of Dick feels consistent with all the previous versions of Dick. It's not, like you said, he doesn't just become Bruce. He's very much, he's Dick Grayson being Batman. And I love his relationship with Garden in this, as as Dick, as opposed to being Batman, and how... The little prom night comment. <laughs> yes. I was driving my daughter. You were just in the car. Um, or, like, his uh, experience in Bloodhaven leading the commissioner to just be much more open with him than he would have been with Bruce Wayne. So, I think that it was absolutely the right choice to have this be Dick yeah. leading this story. Because... I appreciated how he handled it and how different it was from how Bruce would have handled it, because Bruce definitely would not have handled it the same
0: way. Right. And it gives you a very different look at Gotham, too. And even his interactions with Alfred at the beginning when he's like not settling into the penthouse and then at the end you finally see him and he's like basically go into therapy to kind of work it all out another thing Bruce would never have done maybe he has no. in the comics I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on all things Bruce Wayne but from what I know of the character that's not really his style you know he, he'd call yeah. this Selena Kyle not a
1: therapist you don't become Batman because you can embrace therapy yeah. to deal with the death of your parents and your crime-ridden city like Those two things are not, that is your therapy is becoming Batman. Right. Batman Forever aside with where he does go to the therapist and lots of silly, silliness ensues. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. But overall, love this. One of my favorites. It's kind of neck and neck with the long Halloween,
1: if I'm being honest. I would say it's pretty high up there for me after having read it. Like, like I said, I really love No Man's Land and the complexity. And that's another one that explores the darkness of gotham itself and i'll be honest those bigger but, runs
0: so you know contagion cataclysm nightfall no man's land i haven't read any of those so i am very much an undertaking. in sort of like i've read the jeff Loeb stuff i've read the grant morrison stuff i've read the scott snyder stuff some of the king stuff and that's kind of where i'm at because i got to comics so late like I was an actual adult when I got into comics. I it wasn't yep. something I knew as a kid. So for me it kind of started there and I've read, you know, the Frank Miller stuff as well cuz those are kind of, of the classics. The Killing Joke which I was very high on the first
1: time I read it and then I learned I was like ew. Yep, same. Exact same experience. <laughs> exact same. Yeah, I I got into comics like Twenty, I think I was twenty years old when I got really started reading. Yeah, them. same. And I've read uh, for a brief, well, for like a year. I was reading Batman as it was coming out, and I pick one because <laughs> there's always like six Batman comics coming out at the same time. Yeah. But I think this one, I love it's all comics can be art, but this one definitely achieves capital A artwork with how gloriously colored and drawn it is, how interestingly thought out the story is. Because like we've said, even though, you know, that first three comics, we don't see anything of James Gordon Jr., they all feel of a piece by the end. Like you would need to have read all of this information in order for the story to make sense by the end. And I really appreciated that, which is hard to do in my experience of reading Batman because the demands of the book are so high for authors and artists that sometimes they have these great ideas and stories, but the timing just does not work. So I'm glad that they were able to pull it off. And it really made me interested to read a lot more of uh, Snyder's work.
0: Yeah. And so a lot of this was colored by David Barron and Jared K. Fletcher. You have different colorists, depending on who the artist is. And like I said, I'm just such a fan of Jock and Francavia that this was sort of like, my ideal creative team for Batman. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we've talked about Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale before. Love, love, love Tim Sale. Jeff Loeb has his problems. Not so much. Uh, But I guess we can actually dive into recommendations here because we've mentioned like 20 other Batman comics already. Right. But I'm actually going to recommend one that we didn't specifically mentioned yet. And that is Batman Arkham Asylum. Because that one, the art is so different, too, that it's not your typical take. Like, when you think of the style of DC Comics, you kind of think of things along the lines of this jock art, Greg Capullo's art, and mm-hmm. a very specific look. But Arkham Asylum was just so, so different that I was like, oh, okay, they do experiment a little Mm -hmm. every now and then with Batman and obviously they did here by you know making Dick Batman which they've done not just in this comic but in others as well and I love that I love when they do something different so Arkham Asylum my
1: recommendation what do you have for us Katie? I'm going to suggest that everybody give Catwoman When in Rome a chance which is another Jeff Loeb Tim Sale collaboration it was I think their last that is set in the world of Batman and it's all about Catwoman and it continues on the story in the long Halloween and dark victory of her trying to find out more information about where she comes from it is gorgeous art of course and a very interesting story it's something you're definitely going to want to get online because the paperback copy is currently going for about $200 on Amazon uh But it is absolutely worth, you know, the four bucks it costs to buy it on Kindle or Comixology or whatever. I I bought it as it was coming out. So I'm lucky enough to have um, actual issues that I periodically reread. But Catwoman is like probably my favorite Batman character that isn't Batman.
0: Your favorite Gotham character.
1: Yeah. And she's just so well done in this because she's so well done in The Long Halloween and Dark Victory and them continuing that. I believe... She goes to Rome to investigate the Falcone family is kind of the start of the story. So it's very, it's only six issues. It's a pretty quick read, but absolutely gorgeous and a different side of Catwoman that we don't often get to see.
0: Yeah, and I will note that Arkham Asylum is written by Grant Morrison and art by David McKean.
1: Yeah, McKean is, there was a little bit in this that I felt, I was like, oh, this could have been McKean. It's not quite as digital. As McKean's work a lot of the time is, but... As you can tell, I love the horror elements of Batman comics. Yeah. Hey, we have that the big front page of that Arkham Asylum graphic novel as a giant framed poster in one of our hallways. So I have read it several times and I, I it freaks me out, but I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know me. I love a lot of horror things. And while I am not as well versed in horror as a lot of my friends simply because I spent three years going through all of the Stephen King things. I missed, you know, some of the
1: classics. I'm still working my way through. It just means, you know, you have good movies to watch. Yeah. That's what I look at it. It's like, well, I know, like I, I'm going to be watching North by Northwest soon for a different show. And I'm, I've am i seen it before when I was a child, but I am super excited to watch one of Hitchcock's best again. Yeah. I remember the plane scene and that's about
0: it. The same. I watched it, I think, in like a high school film class one summer and that is like yeah. all I remember is him like it's running in really the plane to...
1: and then... yes exactly exactly so I because my mom was like Hitchcock is totally appropriate for a six year old right <laughs> great let's rear window it was my favorite movie when I was about seven years old so it says a lot about me but yeah I think it's totally worth it to give this comic a chance if you haven't read Black Mirror because uh so beautiful and so fascinating. And you don't even need the context of Final Crisis. Nope. Nope. I have no, I know nothing about Final Crisis. And it gives you a little blurb in the very yeah. beginning. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then you just dive right into a self, uh, well, a mostly self contained story.
0: Yeah. It puts you into the time period, but you don't need to have read like the previous issue of Detective Comics even to know what's going on, which I really appreciate because I've talked about not being a fan of big events. And I'll read stuff like Final Crisis, but I will read the Final Crisis trade and not the 80 other issues that go
1: with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not buying all that stuff. I am I'm willing to. I'll read the collection when they're done. That's how I look at those big events, unless I'm like really caught up in it. I almost did it with Civil War when that was happening. Yeah. But I was actively working at a comic shop at that point. So it would have been far easier for me to do so. Yeah, totally fair. Well, Katie, I think we can wrap this up.
0: I had a really fun time with this one. I'm glad you enjoyed it, too. So thank you for
1: joining me. Yes. Definitely. Thank you for having me. It was always a fun time.